Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit airforce.com to learn more. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I had a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka, and we are back from the All-Star break. I hope that all of you were able to relax, take a mental break from the fantasy grind, and are ready to keep rocking, but we also hope that you missed us. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, discuss player performances from the past week, and recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for all of you for the week ahead. But before we do all of that, John, how was your all-star break? What did you get to do? Uh, I just didn't pay attention to baseball, which was great. <laughs> um, I normally don't care about the all-star game and the festivities around it too much. So, um, yeah, I, I took advantage of not having to watch baseball for three four days in a row it's pretty nice wow i am shocked by that i love the all-star break i love the all-star game and the home run derby i'm always into that i'm just a baseball junkie i guess like i like all things that revolve around baseball so i just fully 
digest it all and love it all. I love every aspect of it. And I love players. Like, obviously, I'm a Met fan, but I love the players more of it. Like, I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of, like, Corbin Carroll and Julio Rodriguez and all of these young, exciting players like Ellie De La Cruz. Like, I love sure. those kind of storylines and following players. My team is obviously important to me as well, but I just love those individual narratives. So I like the All-Star game a lot. I was going to ask you about that as well. I mean, first of all, in my time off, I was just playing a lot of Diablo 4, playing Old School RuneScape, <laughs> nice. playing MLB The Show, just doing a lot of gaming as per usual, yeah. and was able to kind of take a break and a pause from all of the daily fantasy grind because I get very absorbed into it. I'm very into all of my leagues. I pay super hyper-focused attention to everything. Mm -hmm. And yep. I get very, not emotional about it, but I'm very invested in it. You know what I mean? Like, I get totally. hurt when my teams don't do well. I get really happy when my teams do well. Like... <laughs> It probably fluctuates my emotions more than it should. Uh huh. So it's nice to have a little week break from that. Right. No, I totally, I'm totally there with you on that. I mean, like, you know, my my home league where we were just talking about it before we started recording, but we're currently in the first week of the playoffs. So the way that the All Star game worked was that you know it was a basically a two week week for for the last game of the season, and so you know just had to make sure that I was you know still fighting for a little bit of the playoff position. I was facing the second place team. And we were about half a game apart. So, you know, if I was able to, you know, win our matchup, then, you know, I, I ended up being in the second seed instead of the third seed. Yada, right. Yada, yada. Um, but unfortunately, ended up losing that game. But yeah, still over the over the Elster break was like, okay, do I need to make any moves on my team here? Is there anyone that I could be picking up or dropping? Uh, but of course, with, with no baseball going on, it's a little bit harder to, you know, make make uh good decisions about that because like right. you know we didn't know what rotations were going to look like so i didn't know who i could stream and then you know no one seemed to be getting hot necessarily and stuff like that so um i don't know it was it was still a good break overall from from the game but um i did have a little fun because i think for like a tiny little bit like the thursday or i think like the friday or saturday after the all-star break i was like 15th in uh tgfbi overall oh wow so that, okay it was fun for you know like a day or so but now i think <laughs> i'm back into like the 20s and 30s okay that's still really really good i've crawled up a little bit in tgfbi so i'm really happy and i snuck in some low bids on chris sale and o'neill cruz on the wire oh sure yeah i got chris sale for two dollars i think and o'neill cruz for a dollar and Okay. I'm at like a $60 budget left in TGFBI, so I have to make yeah. those strategic moves. So yeah. I'm really hoping that they come back healthy and are all good to be able to maybe get me into like the top 150, top 100. That's all I really want to do. I'm not trying to win it, obviously, but right. it'd be nice to finish a little bit higher. So bringing it back to the All-Star game, you didn't watch any of it or any of the Home Run Derby? Did you catch anything? Uh, I mean, I saw replays of... Um... Our boy Elias Diaz. Uh, oh yeah, his his game winning homer, of course. Um, but no, I I didn't really follow much of it. Um, I I don't know. I part of for me, I think the All Star game, just I think it's I think when it ended in like a seven seven tie back in I think like what was it like two thousand and four two thousand five. Yeah, that was a little while back. Yeah, I think that's when I gave up on the game. I was like, okay, <laughs> clearly no one cares about this. So uh, none of the players care about this. So I have no reason to care about this as well. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I mean, I used to like when it meant home field advantage and stuff because sure, it had yeah. some sort of inkling of importance. And now it really doesn't have that. But I think the players are ultimately trying and caring nowadays because it's more of a pride thing. I don't know. It's 
kind of hard to say because I agree with you on one point, but then on the other, I mean, it was a really close game and it was back and forth. Three, two game was the finish. I mean, the national league won for the first time in what, like nine years. So it was pretty cool. And just to give a few things that I was saying, first of all, on Twitter, I made a pretty funny tweet. Make sure you follow John and I both on Twitter individually. (laughs) And it was about Elias Diaz because I remember that when a player won All-Star Game MVP, they got a car because it was sponsored by Chevy or Ford or something. Oh, sure, yeah. And I think Elias Diaz thought that too because Uh when he hit the home run and it was kind of momentum going towards him being the MVP, he kind of knew it, and he was watching in the dugout all nervous. Orlando Arcia was shrouding his eyes when Craig Kimbrell was going in for the save. Like, he looked nervous and really wanted to get the MVP. Uh And after the game ended, he was jumping up and down, smiling, like, fist pumping someone was doing an interview and he was in the background going crazy and then it cut to the commercial break and when they came back to announce the mvp it was him but there was no cars and Uh... he's just standing next to kevin burkhart and he just looks so defeated (laughs) and i just immediately knew that like you can tell where he thought he was going to get a car and then when he realized he wasn't going to get a car so it was really funny. I made a tweet about that. It actually did pretty well. It got like 7,000 views or something and people enjoyed it. So I That's thought that was really good. funny. Did he and end up getting anything? No, I don't think so. Like he obviously gets the trophy, which is like yeah. a cool, clear bat and everything. But I don't think sure. he got anything, at least to the public eye. He might've got something behind closed doors or something, but ah, okay. he didn't get anything like out in the open. So <laughs> I thought that okay. was extremely interesting. And then another thing about the all-star game real quick was they did this cool player introduction thing. And you know how mm-hmm. normally for player introductions, they line up on the foul line yep. and they just pan the camera like, oh, Elias Diaz from the Rockies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And instead of that, which is just kind of like the traditional normal thing, and I love that as well because I like they do their little nod to the camera, but sometimes they just kind of like look at the camera. They don't do anything. They literally even crack a smile. So I don't like that sometimes, but I like the tradition of it. Well, Mm -hmm. this time for the All-Star Game, they did it really, really cool, and a lot of people were mad about it, all traditionalists and stuff, but I Uh thought it was personally awesome. And what they did was they set up like three panels in the outfield, uh uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looked like when you pull a diamond card on MLB The Show. Where, yeah, I remember seeing your tweet about this. Yeah. Yeah. They put a little bit of an animation of what team they were and the teams came out. The people who represented those teams walked out from the side and like stepped onto the red carpet, struck a little pose and then ran onto the field on the red carpet, gave kids high fives. It was really cool. I thought it was awesome. So I don't know why people were bitter about that, but I thoroughly enjoyed that part of the All-Star Game and thought that was really mm-hmm cool and innovative so yeah overall i think the all-star game and the home run derby were awesome julio rodriguez set the record for most home runs in a single round in the home run derby with 41 which is just gross mookie Betts gave up which was awesome that was really (laughs) cool to watch there was a lot of cool things that went on pete alonzo got beat again by julio just a lot of stuff that was cool to watch and upsetting as a met fan but Overall, I think the All-Star Game and Home Run Derby were really cool. The break was well needed, but we are now back in full force. And before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. But now, we'll get into the MLB news since the last podcast, and there are a lot of them. It's a long list, so bear with us, we'll try to get through it 
as quickly and pain-free as possible. We start with Aaron Judge of the Yankees, who ran the bases on Wednesday. It was his first time doing so since he suffered that torn ligament in his right big toe back in early June. The Yankees are optimistic that Judge can return soon. Rumors are as early as next week, which seems a little bit rushed, but hey, as long as he's healthy and can hit ball far, then back in lineup he go and smile on my face. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees will begin a rehab assignment on Sunday. Yankees manager Aaron Boone said he expects Cortez to require three rehab outings, likely setting Cortez up to return when first eligible on August 3rd, if all goes well. He's returning from a strained rotator cuff. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros began a rehab assignment on Wednesday with AAA Sugarland. He was supposed to begin a rehab assignment last Friday, but it got pushed back due to Alvarez getting sick. He should return to the Astros lineup soon. My guess is on Monday at home against the Rangers. Alvarez is returning from a strained right oblique. Jose Altuve of the Astros took batting practice on the field prior to the Astros game on Tuesday. He began running the bases on Sunday as well, so he's slowly ramping back up from his oblique strain. Altuve should return to the Astros lineup not too long after Alvarez does. Framber Valdez of the Astros had to exit his last start against the Angels with a cramp in his left calf, but he was able to throw his normal bullpen session and was able to make his next scheduled start on Friday, so he seems to have escaped a potential injury. Chris Sale of the Red Sox threw his first bullpen session on Tuesday and will throw another bullpen session this weekend. Sale will likely need two live batting practices after that before eventually progressing to a rehab assignment. He's returning from a stress reaction in his left scapula and is still on track to return in early August. Trevor Story of the Red Sox began a rehab assignment on Friday at AA Portland. The initial plan calls for Story to play five innings at shortstop on Friday, then serve as the designated hitter on Saturday, followed by another five innings at short on Sunday. Boston manager Alex Cora stressed that the organization will not rush Story back despite a desperate need for stability at the shortstop position in the majors the rehab assignment could last up to 20 days. John, do you think it's smart to stash away Trevor Story right now? Because I think it is smart to a degree from my perspective, but also mm -hmm. the injury that he's coming back from really saps power. We've seen that on multiple fronts. So what do you think about stashing Trevor Story? I mean, hmm. it's tough because like you mentioned, it does sap power. We've seen that with Bryce Harper. Exactly. Right? Yep. Where he had the same exact surgery and... He only has four homers on the season so far yep. through, what, like three months of games or something like that? Yeah, I think he um, played close to two or three months. Yeah, so uh, because of that, it's it's hard to be like, yeah, for sure, you should get Story. I, I think, like, Story does have advantages in the fact that he has speed on the bases. Um, so even if he doesn't have the power, if he's able to, you know, have some contact, which isn't really his, his makeup, but, you know, he maybe he develops that because he can't hit for power, so... You know, the coaches are like, hey, just hit for hit for, you know, contact for now and the power will come back, you know, as you continue healing. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with putting, you know, like a, a one dollar bid on a guy like Story. And if it really doesn't end up working out, like he, he should be a pretty easy cut um, if, it, if it comes to that. Yeah, I agree as well. If you can get him on the cheap or pick him up for free even and just stash him in your aisle for now. When he comes back, I mean, he has the potential to be a guy who goes 20-20. Not this season, of course. That would require a miraculous stretch. But mm -hmm. he's a guy that was going in the first and second rounds of drafts not too long ago. Now, he hasn't really been himself in a couple of years. So yeah. it's hard to really hope for that outcome. But it's worth taking the flyer on him, I think, because he was a top talent. He's still very talented. He's still young. 
this year, I don't think he's going to give you much, but he could give you some stolen bases, like John said, because he still has his legs working fine. He just might yeah. be drained a little bit for power. He still had 13 last year in, what, 94 games? So yeah. let's just say he plays, what, two months of games, which could be somewhere around, let's just, let's just call it 50, right? Let's say yeah. he gets 50 games. Um, he could still get you, you know, five to ten steals in that in that time, especially with you know the new bases and the new rules. Um, that's you know that's pretty solid. And then if if he's able to hit at like let's just say a two thirty two fifty average, that's that's not a minus on your team. Yeah, if he provides a decent average with let's say five to seven home runs and eight to twelve steals for the two months that he's playing, that's a valuable player, especially for the playoff stretch there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and on a team like the Red Sox that are going to probably try to compete. I mean, a lot of people have been saying like, oh, you know, they might be sellers at the deadline, but they're still very much in the race for the AL wild card. I don't, I don't really see Boston like giving up right now, and so that team will still be trying to play good baseball well into the the you know later parts of the season. I definitely agree. Everyone in that AL East has a shot to make the playoffs, so it would be pretty stupid to become sellers for any of those teams, really. Well, I mean, unless you're the Yankees. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to John Gray of the Rangers. He left his start on Wednesday against the Rays after getting struck on his left leg by a comebacker in the fifth inning. X-Rays came back negative, and Gray expects to make his next scheduled start against the Astros. Jared Kelenic of the Mariners was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday with a fractured left foot. He sustained this injury after kicking a water cooler in frustration. Kellenic will be sidelined for multiple weeks. And I don't know if you saw this, John. I know it was against your twins, so you probably mm-hmm. saw what happened. But did you see the video afterwards on Twitter that circulated where he's being interviewed and he's just crying and upset that he let his team down? And rightfully so. I mean, it shows you just how human these players are. Yeah, I, I didn't watch the interview. Uh, but, I mean, I did see pictures and things from it. Um, yeah. yeah, It feels feels tough for that and tough for, for a guy like that. And I've I've always advocated, you know, that all all major pro teams, regardless of you know what sport you are, something like that, whatever, uh, there needs to be like a beanbag or just something <laughs> something in the locker room that players can punch without you know getting hurt, you know just take out your frustration because you know you know anger management wise and you know mental health wise, like sometimes sports is a very high stress you know sort of situation that yeah where things change in a matter of seconds and sometimes that's just how you you know get out vent your frustration is you know you're like you've just punched something or you kick something and um you know i don't want to get too much out of baseball but as a as a timberwolves fan you know one of our better players jd mcdaniels the, the second to last game of the season punched a wall and then oh. broke his hand and it was just the it's like if there was just a beanbag, right, that he yep. could punch or something like that. And like baseball players, at least you have a bat, you know, that you can be swinging around and you know, right. breaking a bench or something like that. Uh, but just in general, you know, th- there needs to be like a something soft that players can punch. Just like a, a punch. Like, you know how there's like throw pillows? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Have, we didn't have punch pillows. Yeah, well, I think there's got to be some sort of invention. Like, you know, the wacky waving inflatable arm filling tube mans? <laughs> yeah. They should be that, but with like shock absorption and like a soft pillow within and it just like yeah, circles back yeah. and forth so you hit it and you're like yes that feels good and just it doesn't do any damage to you and it's a big thing that you can kick or punch or headbutt <laughs> whatever you want to do just to stay safe i mean how many times have we seen someone punch a wall or punch a locker or kick something and then they're yeah. out for the season or out for multiple months so 
Right. Yeah, that's very frustrating. I agree. There's got to be some sort of like body pillow that they just have in the <laughs> the clubhouse <laughs> that they take yeah. all their frustrations out on. It was really rough to watch that whole interview of him crying and just being upset that he let his teammates down and that he's got to do mm-hmm. better because he honestly did take a lot of positive strides because he was someone who struggled with mental frustration of really getting upset and letting his emotions mm-hmm. get the best of him. And that's why he struggled when he came up initially and he was expected to be the guy and then he just stunk. And that really took a toll on him. And he was getting mad about everything that he couldn't control. And Mm -hmm. he made some big leaps and bounds. And I heard that going into this season that he was working with some coaches, some mental coaches and some basically therapist kind of stuff to help him overcome his mental hurdles. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that in spring training, alongside him doing well in spring training, I was all in on Jared Kelenic. I have multiple shares across many teams with him. So I was very excited about that because I heard that he had his head on straight, that he really harnessed his emotions and was able to control that. So mm-hmm. it stinks that he kind of relapsed in this way where it kind of got the best of him and then he kicked something and broke his foot essentially. So hopefully this just makes him stronger where he realizes that this doesn't help the team and he can really use this as fuel to just stay more mentally strong. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays. He threw a bullpen session on Wednesday and is on track to make a start this weekend in Seattle. He was scratched from his last start with a left side issue. Adolis Garcia of the Rangers was removed from Wednesday's game against the Rays in the eighth inning after being hit by a pitch in the forearm. X-rays came back negative and he's considered to be day-to-day for now. Cedric Mullins of the Orioles was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday with a right adductor groin strain. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers will begin a rehab assignment with High A Wisconsin on Saturday. Woodruff has been on the injured list since mid-April with a grade 2 subscapular strain. Wade Miley of the Brewers was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday due to left elbow discomfort. The move is retroactive to Friday, so he'll be eligible for activation beginning July 29th, and the Brewers are optimistic about his elbow injury. Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox was out of the lineup on Wednesday after fouling a ball off of his foot in the previous game. Consider him day-to-day for now. Salvador Perez of the Royals managed to avoid the IL after sustaining a grade 1-plus hamstring strain. He may get some additional days off for the rest of this week to ease him back into the catcher position, but he seems to be okay. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers threw a bullpen session on Tuesday in Baltimore. All good, Kershaw told Bill Plunkett of the Orange County Register after the workout. There's no exact timetable for his return, but it's expected that he's back in early August. Bobby Miller of the Dodgers exited Sunday's game against the Mets due to right knee discomfort. He said after the game that he was all good and mentioned that he wanted to pitch through the issue. Miller seems to be okay, but what's with the Dodgers and saying all good to everything? That makes me think that things are not all good. (laughs) It's like, hey, all good. Everything's fine. We're all good. Someone who's not good, Dustin May of the Dodgers is expected to be sidelined for 12 months after undergoing right flexor tendon and UCL reconstruction revision surgery on Tuesday. Reports heading into Wednesday had already suggested that May was getting his flexor tendon repaired, but the UCL revision of his previous Tommy John surgery is brand new information. With the operation being more invasive than expected, May is expected to be sidelined for a full year, putting his estimated return date roughly around the All-Star break next season. Tough break for Dustin May, who was looking really good this year, so hate to see that happen. Nick Lodolo of the Reds shed his walking boot and is playing catch, according to MLB.com. Manager David Bell said that Lodolo is taking it slow and should return around mid to late August. Dansby Swanson of the Cubs, who has been on the IL since July 8th with a bruised left heel, might return soon. 
Cubs manager David Ross said that he's optimistic that Swanson will return this weekend. Starling Marte of the Mets was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, retroactive to July 17th due to migraines. Jose Quintana of the Mets was reinstated from the 60-day IL and started on Thursday against the White Sox. He's returning after missing about four months due to a stress fracture on the left side of his ribcage, and he looked pretty good in that start, although that just might be because the White Sox aren't very good. Shane Bieber of the Guardians was placed on the 15-day IL on Saturday with right elbow inflammation. He will go two weeks without throwing, but apparently won't require surgery. His timetable will likely come into focus once he's able to resume throwing. You really don't like to hear right elbow inflammation for any pitcher, especially for Shane Bieber, so tough luck on that. I don't see him really pitching much for the rest of the season, but we'll see when more information comes out. Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks will throw a second rehab start Thursday in the rookie-level Arizona Complex League. Kelly is lined up to return for the three-game set against the Cardinals beginning next Monday. He's returning from a blood clot in his right calf. And there were rumors of him being out way longer than he was, so it's good to see that Merrill Kelly is coming back sooner rather than later. Andrew Chafin of the Diamondbacks was placed on the paternity list on Tuesday. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox returned to the lineup on Thursday after missing two straight games due to left groin tightness. Chris Bryant of the Rockies was hit by a pitch on his forearm in Wednesday's game against the Astros. X-rays came back negative and Bryant should be okay. Consider him day-to-day -day for now. Max Fried of the Braves is slated to pitch five innings in his next rehab start Thursday with AAA Gwinnett. If all goes well, he could return to the Braves' rotation next week. He's working his way back from a strained left forearm. Kyle Wright of the Braves is not expected to be an option for Atlanta until early September. He's working his way back from a right shoulder strain. A.J. Minter of the Braves was placed on the 15-day IL on Saturday with left shoulder inflammation. Ryan Noda of the Athletics was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday with a fractured jaw. He suffered the injury on Tuesday when he took a grounder to the face during pregame fielding practice. And speaking of pregame fielding practice, Rowdy Telez of the Brewers was supposed to return from the 10-day IL last Tuesday after having some inflammation in his right forearm. However, Telez suffered a fractured left ring finger while shagging a fly ball Saturday and will be sidelined for another three to four weeks. John, what is with these guys in pregame fielding practice? What's going on in there? Are they throwing cement bricks? What's happening here? I mean, I mean, I'm assuming you saw the the play about the the kid who got beamed by the, uh, was it a Vlad Vlad uh, flyball? Oh in the, yeah, in, in the, the home, home run, run derby. derby. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're just, you know, when when you're shagging when you're shagging flies when you're just taking easy groundage, you probably aren't paying too much attention, and you know something weird happens and you you break a finger here or you you know strain something there. Um, that being said, though, we've seen baseball players get hurt from jumping on trampolines. So really, getting hurt during pregame practice is not that surprising. Yeah, jumping on trampolines, moving a cabinet after getting out of the shower. That's another good one. Yeah, Guitar Hero. Right? Guitar Hero. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, there's been some weird injuries. Wow. In, in fact, this is actually a pretty, pretty normal injury if you think about it. Yeah, this is pretty tame. At least it happened during baseball activities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Moving on to Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals. He threw a bullpen session on Tuesday. He continues to ramp up as he works to return from a right forearm strain. Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals is scheduled to begin taking live at-bats early next week. He's returning from a sore right wrist and could be back late next week. 
Moving on to some prospect news, Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles was recalled from AAA on Monday and started against the Dodgers. His start yielded mixed results, but he ultimately looked pretty good. His next start comes against the Rays on Saturday, so definitely not what you want to see. The guy gets called back up, starts against the Dodgers and the Rays, just throwing him to the Wolves. But if he's out there in your league, pick him up and hold him because his upside is tremendous. He's probably already rostered, definitely in keeper and dynasty formats. But in those redraft leagues, if he's around, grab him, stash him, see what happens in that Rays start, and then let him go because his upside is very big. Yuri Perez of the Marlins was optioned to AA on Friday, July 7th to limit his workload. Just a big bummer. We all knew it was coming, and we just kind of foresaw that he wasn't going to pitch the entire time in the majors. And he may come back for a playoff stretch for the Marlins and stuff, which is why they're resting him. But for fantasy purposes, definitely not the greatest. Andrew Painter was recommended to have Tommy John surgery by the Phillies. He's the number eight prospect in all of baseball and the number one pitching prospect in 2023, according to MLB Pipeline. Just another brutal blow. I mean, Painter was out for a while with that arm injury, and now it's recommended to have Tommy John. So we probably won't see him for at least, I don't know, a full year. We'll probably see him in 2025, maybe at the very tail end of 2024. But he hasn't gotten Tommy John yet. He was just recommended to have it. So I'm hoping that he gets it soon because he's too good of a talent. He's someone I'm very excited about, and it's a big shame to see that he needs Tommy John surgery. But good news here. Christian Encarnacion Strand was called up by the Reds on Monday, July 17th. CES had 20 home runs and was slashing 331, 405, 637 in 316 plate appearances at AAA. He's a must-add for anyone that has him available in their league. Strand has league-winning power and upside. Fun fact as well, Strand now has the longest name in baseball, beating out Simeon Woods Richardson, who had 21 letters in his name, who beat out Jared Saltalamacchia, who had 20 letters in his name, and Christian Encarnacion Strand has 26 letters, so there's a new name king for all the people that care about that. Quinn Priester was called up by the Pirates on Monday, July 17th, and made his MLB debut against the Guardians. He started off really strong, but then it went south towards the end of his outing. He had a 4.31 ERA and an 8.7 K per 9 in AAA, so he's not someone you need to rush and add in fantasy, but keep an eye on Quinn Priester. Andy Rodriguez was also called up by the Pirates on Monday, July 17th. In 67 games this year in AAA, Rodriguez slashed 268, 356, 419 with six homers, 54 runs, 38 RBI, and four stolen bases. He's a catcher with some good upside, so it might be worth taking a shot on him in two catcher or deep leagues. Dominic Canzone was called up by the Diamondbacks on Friday, July 7th. I mainly wanted to mention him because his name sounds like a type of pizza. But he was hitting well in the minors, and he hit a three-run homer off of Spencer Strider on Thursday, so he's worth adding to your watch list for the time being, but probably nothing actionable there. And last but not least, Trey Cabbage was called up by the Angels on Friday, July 14th. Like Canzone, he was also hitting pretty well in the minors, but isn't really viable to pick up in fantasy. I just wanted to mention him and end with him, because Trey Cabbage might be the greatest name ever. John, <laughs> anything to note about this list before we move on? A lot of great names. Yeah, really good news. Dominic Canzone, Trey Cabbage, come on. Yeah. I was going to say, though, with the Christian Encarnacion Strand thing, Jared Saltamachia, right? Saltalamachia. Saltalamachia, yeah. I think he wins because he just doesn't have a hyphen, right? Like, I feel like the hyphen's cheating just a little bit. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. The hyphen is kind of cheating. Like, D. Strange Gordon 
first of all, his name was <laughs> yeah. D. Gordon for so long, and then you just added Strange and a hyphen. That doesn't count either. <laughs> so I kind of agree with you that the reason why Simeon Woods Richardson with 21 and Jared Saltalamakia with 20, it's more impressive because it's an actual name, not a hyphen. So I guess the yeah. hyphen does kind of kill it, but it's still cool. 26 letters is very long. I was hoping. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was hoping that Strand looks looks kind of hilarious on the, at the back of a jersey. Well, so he just went with Encarnacion on the back of his jersey, but I was really sure. hoping that he would have like a full rainbow surrounding the number where it was yeah, Encarnacion like Strand. Yeah, yeah. Like... Woods Richardson's jersey just looked it looked hilarious. Just yeah. how like it was just like a huge arc because they had no other way to fit it onto the jersey. Yeah, I was hoping it would be a full circle around the number. It would be really funny to just see Encarnacion <laughs> Strand in a circle around his number. Yeah, that would be pretty good. But that concludes all of the news since the last podcast, and we are going to take a quick break, so we'll be back right after this. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? And you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 year older, 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. In New York, call 1 877 8 Hope and Y. In Tennessee, call 1 800 889 9789. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. We are back, and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But, John, who performed well this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Yeah, so obviously coming back from the All-Star break, so hopefully players are feeling a little bit more fresh. Uh, We're going to kick off the weekend, though, with Cedric Mullins of the Orioles. He went 3-4 for with a homer, two runs, an RBI, and a stolen base. Uh, Pretty much as good of a start as you could ask to the second half of the season with his ninth homer of the year as well. Even though Mullins has really have yet to reach the heights of his incredible 2021 season when he had that 30-30 year, he's really been able to improve in other facets. His walk rate has increased to 12%, for example. 
Um, and honestly, like injuries have kind of affected his production a little bit this season. Obviously, he was out for a little bit in May, I believe. Um, or he probably could have been on pace for another 30-30 season. Right now, it's kind of looking maybe 2030 is possible. Uh, but he might just go on a random, you know, home run tear, you know, sometime in, in mid-August and be back on that 30-30 uh, watch list. So, um, yeah, good to see Mullins kind of get back. Um, and he's been playing some outstanding defense, too, in the outfield still. So just a great all-around player. Uh, but for fantasy, he's starting to kind of reclaim that, uh, or at least fight with Michael Harris for that title of, you know, speediest uh, power-speed combo um, uh, outfielder. Uh, starting on Saturday, Bryce Harper of the Phillies, he went two for three with a double, a homer, two runs, RBI, two walks, and a stolen base. Uh, he's not exactly the new Phillies first baseman yet. He he is going to be starting taking some reps there and maybe playing a few games there, but I think he was at DH at this one still. Uh, finally looked like himself for one day. I mean, we talked about how Trevor Story had that um, UCL reconstructive injury that Bryce Harper had, and part of the worries is, you know, power, and, and Bryce Harper has shown power does not immediately come back. He's had good hitting metrics. He's got a 301 average and a 396 OBP, but it's really struggled in the power, power department with only a 425 slugging percentage. His hard contact rate has also dropped by 5% compared to last year, which is expected. It is a pretty serious surgery, but that's kind of one of the side effects that we're seeing here. But hopefully this game is a sign of things to come as the second half progresses. And then finally, Alex Kirilov of my Minnesota Twins on Sunday went 2-4 for four with a double, a home run, one run, and four RBI. Uh, Kirilov is also coming off major surgery, similar to Harper. It was to his wrist, though, not to his elbow. Um, and he's struggled to to find his power. He's been like an average and OBP monster, you know, good at hitting for contact. He just hasn't hit for power at all. Um, he only has five homers on the season, um, including uh, the one he hit on, on Sunday. Um, but this was also his first multi-extra base hit game since May 13th. So you can kind of see how... Yeah, it's been a it's been a tough go for him in terms of the power department. Even with that lack of power, though, he has shown that impressed patience at the plate, which I mentioned. Ten point six percent walk rate, and his OBP metrics are are really solid. Unfortunately, I think until he can find more power consistently, it's going to be tough to justify keeping him on a fantasy roster. Uh, but stay tuned for a little bit more on that. And then going moving on to pitchers, Corbin Burns of Milwaukee uh, went up against Cincinnati, got the win here at Great American Small Park, which is kind of impressive. He went six innings with no earned runs, two hits, two walks, and 13 strikeouts. It feels like we've been waiting all season for a vintage uh, Burns performance like this, which is, you know, a little bit hyperbolic given that just in June, he limited a really good Baltimore team to eight shutout innings with nine strikeouts. That being said, though, Corbin has been all over the place this season, so it's good to see him, you know, just dominate in this game. Um, his signature cutter led the way in this one with six whiffs and 10 called strikes, while also earning 10 foul balls. More importantly, though, his curveball also got nine whips, so that was a good one-two punch for him. If we can see this type of Corbin more often, he's going to slowly validate his high draft pick costs and, you know, kind of regain that ace that's going to ace label that was previously taken away from him. Uh, on Saturday, Johan Oviedo of the Pittsburgh Pirates went up against San Francisco, got a no decision, seven innings with one and run, one hit, three walks, and ten strikeouts. Really a lights-out performance for Oviedo, where his four-seamer was getting strikes mainly through foul balls, but basically because of that, he was getting in a lot of two-strike counts, which helps set up his slider to get 
you know, relatively easy whiffs leading to those 10 strikeouts. Oviedo has shown some signs of life here or there, you know, a couple of good starts, but honestly, um, this was his best start of the season by far. And I wouldn't expect him to replicate it anytime soon. I think he's still a good streaming pick, but that's probably about it uh, for him on a fantasy roster. And then finally, Cutter Crawford of the Boston Red Sox went up against Chicago, going with six innings, zero earned runs, one hit, four walks, and nine strikeouts. Um, I've been paying a lot of attention to Crawford this season, especially after recommending him as a stream a few months back. Even though that stream didn't really turn out super well, Crawford has been interesting as his stuff is absolutely electric. His fastball and his slider are really, really good pitches when you look specifically at POV metrics. Um, but Crawford opts, you know, surprisingly, instead of going for that slider, uh, a fastball cutter mix, which stuff metrics-wise isn't as nice, even if the cutter does get pretty decent results. However, despite that great line on Sunday, the four walks stand out, and he also ha was a tick and a half lower on his fastball, which you'd never love to see. Um, you know, part of the, no the knock on Crawford, too, has been, you know, his inability to go deep in games with... Um, the, the Red Sox pulling him at 70, 80 pitches. He did manage to get to 89 today, which was good, and, and get seven innings. Um, but it's still hard to trust him as a true fantasy asset if, if those things aren't that clear. Yeah, so there was a lot of stuff that went on this weekend. I'll go all the way back to Cedric Mullins real quick. And that 30-30 season is still pretty crazy to think that Cedric Mullins actually pulled off because yeah. the 30 home runs is just obviously his career outlier. Like, I do not see that happening ever again really I mean maybe until his final years where he just stops stealing bases and just sells out for power but that 30 homer season is insane because I see him more as the player from 2022 where he had 16 homers and 34 steals and I think that was perfectly obtainable like he was doing really well it's unfortunate that he's on the injured list right now and just recently got hurt but I think that he could easily be a guy who hits 20 to 25 homers and steals 30 to 35 bases and yeah. that is a second round fantasy player all day long, sometimes a first rounder. So mm -hmm. it's really nice to see that he was performing well this year. Like you said, he was playing great defense as well, but he's got a 259 average, a 347 OBP. He has nine homers at the moment and 14 steals. So he was pretty much on pace for like a 20 homer season, 35 steals. Right. Yeah. And that's just awesome. Like 30 30, I think, is a little unreachable these days mm -hmm. for Mullins, but. Man, he is just so good, and it's nice to see him playing well every year so far since that breakout year. So I'm yeah. a big fan of Cedric Mullins. I like everything that he brings to the field. Corbin Burns has been really rough this season, someone that you took high in your drafts probably as the SP1 off the board or SP2, and he's kind of disappointed. But this start and his start on Thursday – were immaculate on Thursday against the Phillies. He went eight innings with 10 strikeouts, gave up two hits and one walk with no runs against the Phillies. So Corbin Burns is really dominating and he looks dialed in again. I mean, his last four starts have been really, really good. So I like mm -hmm. to see that he's getting back on track because he's too good to struggle. He's too nasty. Right. And as you mentioned, Cutter Crawford, his stuff is electric. He is such a dominating presence on the mound that you expect him to do well every time he's out but if he doesn't have that control he's just not great like those four walks are so bad because he only gave up one hit clearly his stuff is unhittable yeah he's just got to command the zone a little bit better and this guy could really be a fantasy asset for sure yeah and it's it's interesting you mentioned Cedric Mullins too because uh you know uh, 
the the groin strain for sure. Like he hasn't said it when he's thinking he's going to be coming back. So it's definitely right. going to be longer than the ten day IL stint. And you know that anytime you get sort of any muscular issues, that's going to really affect your power. Um, but things like groins also can can affect your speed just a little bit too. Big so time. It'll be, inter- it'll be interesting to see what his his outlook looks like when he comes back from the IL. Um, and yeah, he might not be a great fantasy asset for the rest of the season. Um, I still think, you know, if, if he's able to come back in, let's just say like two weeks, right? Let's just say he misses two weeks. Right. He's still probably going to be able to produce what? 20 steals on the season, maybe 15 homers. It's not great numbers, but you know, it's still, it's still reasonable. And, and this Baltimore team's trying to compete. So they're not going to, you know, just let him dilly dally on the IL as, as long as he wants. No, I think he'll be back as soon as he can because the Orioles need him. He's a big part of their driving factor of going to the playoffs. So Cedric Mullins is someone the Orioles desperately need to be in the lineup. And yeah, groin strains usually do affect your speed a little bit. I can point to Starling Marte, though, who had like a double groin surgery. And he has 24 steals this season, I believe. So he's still stealing. And even though people get groin strains, I think when he first comes back, he might not steal that much. But then I think once he's more comfortable he'll start stealing again like normal. So I can easily see a finishing line of like 16, 17 homers and I don't know, 28 to 32 steals. Mm -hmm. So I think he's still going to be very valuable for fantasy. Right. It's just weird because a lot of value that Mullins has in the real world is on that defense. And of course, that doesn't really account for anything in fantasy. Right. Exactly. Moving on to Monday, July 17th from the Daily Hitting Recap article from Andrew Abramo. We have Josh Lowe of the Rays, who went two for three with a homer, a run, an RBI, and a stolen base. Here was the first sign of life from Josh Lowe in quite some time. To start the season, Lowe looked like an absolute breakout story, entering May with a 1.029 OPS and ending May being one of the only players in baseball with 10-plus homers and 15-plus stolen bases. However, he's cooled off significantly, and since he's on the Rays, he doesn't play against left-handed pitchers. For fantasy purposes, I don't like rostering players that aren't going to play every day. Like, Lowe was a must-roster player two months ago, but now with the inconsistent playing time and struggling when he does play, I'd drop Lowe for someone like Jake Fraley or TJ Friedel or Seiya Suzuki. It's such a hard call because clearly Josh Lowe is talented and can give you the numbers, but when a guy has to be in the lineup only against righties, and for fantasy purposes, if you're trying to navigate your lineup and you're thinking about it and being like oh well Josh Lowe goes up against Spencer Strider today that's a tough righty matchup but then he has two lefties so if I don't put him in the lineup today I'm not going to get any production from him it's just a waste of a roster spot so to me it's really hard to roster someone like Josh Lowe maybe in a weekly league where you see all righties on the schedule you put them in but I don't know I really don't typically go towards the archetype of player that Josh Lowe is. I think he's an incredible fantasy asset. I just wish that he played every single day. Then we have Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals, who went two for three with a double and four RBI. This game was a showcase of what Arenado does best, drive runners in. In nine full seasons, throwing out 2020, of course, because it wasn't a full season, Arenado has had 100 plus RBI in seven of those nine seasons. Only his first two years in the majors are where he didn't accomplish the feat of 100 RBI. Then after this game on Tuesday, Arenado hit a walk-off three-run homer in the bottom of the 10th. Just amazing out of Arenado. After a horrendous start to the season that made everyone panic, Arenado has looked like his normal fantasy stud self. 
He's someone that I have a lot of shares of as well. I'm a big Arenado fan, IRL, and for fantasy purposes. So I do love me some Arenado. And I was definitely a little concerned at the start of the season, but I know he's a little bit of a slower starter. I know that he always just comes around by the end of the year. And like I said, he's gotten 100 plus RBI in seven of nine seasons, John. Like that's pretty remarkable. And you can kind of just bank on him getting 100 RBI nowadays. Yeah, it was super frustrating at the beginning of the season when he was like, well, I, I don't know if I want to blame him or the Cardinals. Seeing how this entire season has gone for the Cardinals, I just want to blame the organization, if, be, if I'm being very honest. Very fair, very fair. But they were like, oh, you know, Arnado, you're a really good hitter. Maybe, you know, uh, we should change your strategy for hitting yeah. that, you know, has worked for the last, like you said, nine seasons. <laughs> and let's just make you like an all-fields player, right? Yep. And, and instead of like doing what he does best, which is pulling the ball, right? Yep. And oh my goodness, it was it was literally frustrating being an an Arenado manager, you know, because it's just yeah. like, dude, what's going on? Thankfully, the one the good thing is that I have Arenado in a Roto league, so you know, even though the first two months sucked, the rest of the seasons has been great. So yep. even if as long as he finishes with you know 100 RBI, I'm going to be pretty happy regardless. Yeah, as long as he gets those numbers, 30 homers, 100 RBI by the end of the year, that's exactly what you drafted him for. And in a position that stinks and is shallow, like third base. Arnado is just proving that he has the stability to hold it down and be worth those top round picks because he is just so consistent that it's awesome to be frank. For sure. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, Lazy Grayson Day from Nick Pollock. We start with Logan Webb of the Giants, who went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, four hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts against the Reds in Great American Small Park. Webb has been just phenomenal all season long. As I always say, this season has been so inconsistent for pitching, and Webb has given us nothing but consistency all year. He had a 35% CSW in this one, only five whiffs, which is kind of underwhelming, but he got the job done. Seven Ks, seven innings, exactly what you want to see. Quality start, no walks as per usual. There's really not much more to add about Webb. He's been an SP1 for anyone that has him. And every time I think of Logan Webb, I always think back on us, John, because we had to write an article about Logan Webb to get our jobs at pitcher list. <laughs> so always think about that when I hear his name. And then we have Griffin Canning of the Angels, who went 5.2 innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits, three walks, and 12 strikeouts against the Yankees. Whoa, an unexpected golden goal in the start for Canning with 20 whiffs and a 38% CSW against a dreadful Yankees lineup. He's throwing his slider and curveball in the zone for strikes and mainly using his four-seamer to paint the corners and have batters chasing after it. He threw 120 pitches in this one too, which is just insane. You don't hear of pitchers throwing 120 pitches ever anymore. It's pretty remarkable, especially for someone as young as Griffin Canning. It makes sense to let the pitchers on the Angels go, though, because they have a six-man rotation, which means extra rest, which is one of the reasons why Canning and Detmers have been more annoying to roster than other pitchers. However, I think Canning's upside is really high. I like what he's been doing in his past few starts, and he gets the Tigers next, so I'm all in. Yeah, honestly, the 120 pitches was, like, the most impressive thing for me. Um the fact that he did it in 5.2 innings is a little hilarious. Yeah, but, that's um, really bad. <laughs> like, that's just classic Angels just being Angels. Um, but yeah, he he's one of those guys where, like you mentioned, it's annoying to roster, right? Because you want to believe the upside. You want to believe that he can take advantage. And then, um, you know, 
you know, let's just say he goes up against Detroit and then just gives up, you know, let's five earned runs or something stupid like that in three strikeouts. Um, because that's just, you know, classic Angels pitchers, I guess, this season. Um, but yeah, he's, I, I think he's definitely worth a, a pickup for the Tigers next. Um, I think that start is happening over this weekend, I believe. Um, so, you know, if you're listening to this on, on Saturday and you have a chance to pick him up, go, go and do that. Um, yeah. With Webb, it's, it's been kind of interesting with him because he's, he's like finally gotten a little bit better. Uh, but I remember beginning of the season, he would just have these random duds here and there. Uh, but it's, it's good to see him right the ship now that, you know, we're kind of in, in, in the middle of, of the, the league calendar. Um, he's, he's doing a little bit better. And obviously being able to do this uh, in Cincinnati is, is just incredibly impressive. So I just looked up really quickly when Griffin Canning's start against the Tigers is. And this is yeah. pretty crazy because he pitched on July 17th, which was, like I said, Monday against the Yankees, but the six-man rotation and a day off for the Angels, he's pitching on Tuesday against the Tigers. Oh. Oh. So that's a well, really long time off. That's a week and a day since his last start. That's Well, he, he's going to need it. Yeah, the 120, 120 pitches, obviously. Pitches. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he needs those extra days of rest, but that's really, really far. Like, yeah. I wasn't expecting wow, the, that. Okay, yeah, looking at the Angels got a lucky schedule where they have two days off in, in five days. That's, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, pretty crazy. So Griffin Canning at Detroit on Tuesday. Definitely worth picking him up for that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to Tuesday's game, thanks to Seth Klusmeyer for the daily hitting recap. Um, obviously, if you were watching any baseball on Tuesday, you probably would have realized that there was a lot of runs being scored. Um, there was 12 teams, actually, that scored double-digit runs in a few games where the run total was over 20 uh, combined runs. So, yeah, a lot of offense to talk about. Um, we're only going to talk about two names in depth, but yeah, I'm sure if you had one of those hot players on Tuesday, you really enjoyed, let's just say like the eight RBI bump to your total or something like that. <laughs> um, we're going to start with Christian Walker though of Arizona. He went three for five with two homers, three runs, five RBI, a walk and a stolen base. Walker's been quietly having a career year. He's had the lowest strikeout rate of his career, but he's also had the highest OPS as well. So doing well in terms of plate discipline and in terms of just mashing the ball. Walker's above the 95th percentile in homers and RBI, uh, looking at qualified batters. And he's added seven steals as well, which hasn't really been a big part of his game. While there are plenty of marquee first basemen, you know, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, uh, you know, even Vlad a little bit, um, you know, Walker's actually providing at least equal value compared to these guys at a much lower price point, which is cool to see. And then your boy, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, two for three with two homers, two runs, four RBIs, and two walks. Alvarez is slowly turning into a household name. He hit his 18th and 19th homers on Tuesday, which actually puts him seven homers away with half a season to go to match Johnny Bench with the most homers among catchers in their age 21 season. Thanks to Sarah Langs for that little nugget. Now, it might seem like a hyper-specific stat, but frankly, I'm sure if you're a Mets fan, which you are, uh, going to try to find any positive as possible this season. Um, he's only rostered in 60% of Yahoo leagues, and is clearly a top-10 catcher in a 5x5 league. I would say go pick him up if he's available. Finally, other notable performances in this day of offense. Austin Riley, Spencer Torkelson, Wilmer Flores, Josh Naylor all hit two homers. And we had to talk about Christian Encarnacion Strand, who welcomed himself to the majors with a homer in his second game in a pinch hit performance. He hit a three-run homer that gave the Reds the lead. Uh, that homer was 105.8 miles an hour off the bat. So 
uh, yeah, this kid's going to be good. And it hurts just a little bit for me because the Twins traded him for Tyler Molly, who, of course, has just went through Tommy John surgery. So it would have been nice to see him do this in target field. But I'm just glad that he is uh, succeeding at the major league level now. So I'm going to take an official victory lap on Christian Walker because he was someone that I needed to have this season. I had a mm -hmm. lot of stock of him. I wish I got him in TGFBI. He was a target of mine, and he kind of got sniped right before me, and I was upset about that. And I wish I had more shares of Christian Walker because going into the season, I was extremely high on Corbin Carroll, as everyone knows. And I just thought the Diamondbacks were going to be a really good team this season. And Christian Walker was great last season. He had over 30 homers. He had over 100 RBI. He looked really, really good. Mm -hmm. And I was saying that, hey, if I'm believing in Corbin Carroll, who at the time I thought was going to bat leadoff, and then Jake McCarthy, who just had a fantastic season, who I thought was going to bat second, and those guys are very fast, and then guess who bats third or fourth? Cattell Marte, Christian Walker. So with that roster construction in my head going into the season, I truly thought that Christian Walker was going to have an even better year because he's going to have like 120 RBI if Corbin Carroll does what I think he's going to do and what Jake McCarthy could possibly do. So... I was very excited about Christian Walker going into this year, and he is just doing it. He is performing better. I want to correct myself real quick because I just looked it up. He had 94 RBI last season, not 100, but he had 36 homers. So, yeah, <laughs> I thought that he would hit maybe 40 homers and 120 RBI if the Diamondbacks all clicked, and that's what's happening. So, really big fan of Christian Walker. Glad to see him doing well. He's been a top five first baseman this season, so big shout-out to Christian Walker. He's been excellent. And then Francisco Alvarez, like you said, we're – just trying to hold on for any hope as Mets fans. And Francisco Alvarez is that glimmering ray of hope. And I want to see what your opinion is because I think Corbin Carroll is the unanimous, obvious NL MVP. Yeah. But can you yeah. make a case for Francisco Alvarez? Um, I'd because love to. <laughs> I think you can make a case for it. I think I, yeah. you could say the I, value okay. to him. Like if the, if the Mets somehow turn this around and make the playoffs and the Diamondbacks don't, which I think the Diamondbacks mm -hmm. will, and I don't think the Mets are going to make the playoffs. I am still believing because you got to believe. But right. if Francisco Alvarez finishes with 30 homers at the catcher position, has mm -hmm. good defensive metrics, I know he's doing really well in framing, maybe you can make the case, but I still think Corbin Carroll runs away for it. Yeah, it's it's tough because the first few games for Alvarez were just kind of rough. Um not not like, you know, bad or anything, but it's just that he's actually kind of blossomed in the last what month ish, yeah. really. Yep. Uh Carroll's been more consistent throughout the year. Obviously Carroll has the steals which help and yep. he's actually batting at a better average than Alvarez. Uh, it, I mean, if anything, Alvarez should be the runner up in my opinion. I agree. Um I don't think there's anyone who. I mean, okay, let. I mean, we love Ellie De La Cruz here, so maybe Ellie Ellie Ellie's the the runner up here. But Francisco's been making a good case because I, I was just looking at the numbers today, um, and I was surprised how close he was in terms of the homer lead compared to guys who had 20, 30 more games than him, um, in in terms of catchers. And so like he's he's clearly like a really top tier catcher now. And if you're a top tier catcher as um uh, as a rookie. Like that's that's arguably like more value to your team right. than let's just say a center fielder. Not saying that center field is is not. Uh, it's probably the second most you know important position um, after catcher. I think uh, with a lot of teams like well maybe shortstops up there too. But um, Alvarez is just so good at a premium position and he's so young. Like it, there's a case there for sure. I just I just I just think Carroll runs away with it though. 
Yeah, I personally think Carroll is the NL MVP, and there's no real questions. I mean, he's about to have a 20-30 season, and we still have like 60 games left. I know. So he, he could he could legitimately have a 30-30 season, and not he could not break a sweat to steal two yeah, more I, bases. I mean, he's on pace for like 30, 40 something. You know, like. 30 yeah, homers, that's... 40 steals. Like, that's yeah. ridiculous. He's on a ridiculous pace. He looks incredible. He just looks like a special player. And I think he's definitely the NL MVP. I think Ellie's going to get a lot more votes than he deserves because he's extremely exciting. And I think that mm-hmm. he could even snipe runner-up from Francisco yeah. Alvarez because of just all the hype and MLB kind of feeding into him, you know, like marketing right. him. The, the strikeout rate is real. Like 31% just means that he isn't getting as many hits. And yep, and the ground out damage. rate is really bad. Yeah. And he's just keeping the ball on the ground more than, you know, driving it and squaring it up. So mm-hmm. Ellie's got a lot to work on. I think he's going to be phenomenal for the rest of the season. I think that he's going to be a possible second round, first round pick next season. But for this season, he's got a little bit of issues to work through. But I still think he might snipe the runner up from Alvarez. But regardless, I think that Alvarez and Ellie are going to split a lot of votes for second and third, and Corbin should win it without any mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's going to be unanimous because, yeah, like you said, there, there's arguments for Alvarez. Yep. But um, yeah, he. It's going to be hard to unseat him, you know, barring like Alvarez going like on a tear, right? So at some point this this for during August or something like that. Yep, I agree. Moving on to pitchers, then um, of course. Uh, when when there's a lot of games with these high run totals, it's kind of hard to believe that there was actually good pitching performances, but there were. <laughs> uh, Nathan Eovaldi of the Rangers went up against Tampa Bay, kind of another fun little battle of the juggernauts in the AL. Uh, he went six innings with no earned runs, two hits, three walks, and only two strikeouts. Uh, throughout this year, it's kind of been a hot topic in the PL Discord on when Eovaldi's going to drop off this season, mainly because his velocity has been slowly declining as the season goes on. Well, in this start, despite the all-star break, Eovaldi averaged 93 miles an hour, which is a yikes. whole tick lower than his previous start. Yeah, yikes is right. Uh, he still managed to shut down the potent's raise offense, but only to the tune of two strikeouts, which is a little worrying. Again, you don't love that and the three walks, but Eovaldi is somehow surviving. And this is starting to feel like an exceptional Vargas rule where if he keeps surviving like this, it's like, well, at some point the other shoe's going to drop. But I guess you just keep starting him because he keeps doing this well um, against good quality uh, offenses. And then Edward Cabrera of Miami went up against Seattle, got the no decision with five innings, one and run, two hits, three walks, and six strikeouts. Of course, we talked about Yuri Perez getting demoted, and that was because Edward Cabrera was returning from injury. He dominated with his breakers in this game. He's still a bit wild as some of those fastballs were way up in the zone, uh, just non-competitive pitches, and that will need to be more consistent if he ever hopes to be the complete version of himself. Still, he's worth a look in most fantasy leagues, at least as a streaming option, and because of his great strikeout potential. Yeah, so for Eovaldi, I think that anybody who rosters him currently should try to slowly start fishing out some trade requests to try to sell him maybe high because the performances haven't been bad, but the underlying stuff looks horrible. His velocity keeps going down. And if you can just bank on that name value, the all-star, his season numbers and flip him for someone more valuable, like a Logan Webb, if you can pull that trade off. Nathan Mm -hmm. Eovaldi for Logan Webb, try to make that flip or trade him for a bat that you could use because I just don't feel confident in Eovaldi staying healthy for the rest of the season, and I don't trust this velocity dip at all. So he's still been given the numbers, and he's still a great pitcher, but for how long can he hang on because this is not looking good? And then 
Edward Cabrera, before he got hurt, he was actually writing that walk problem. He was doing much better and keeping the walks in check, and his control mm-hmm. was getting better. Obviously, this is his first start back against the Cardinals, so I really don't want to, you know, tag him for this because he had three walks in this one. So I don't want to make this the end-all, be-all because he's coming back from injury. So I want to see what he does in the next start. But if he keeps the walk rate in check in the next one, he's -hmm. someone that could be sneaky good for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, he has ace potential. He just needs to kind of improve his command, Um, which for a guy who throws, what, like a 98-mile-an-hour changeup, um <laughs> it's he should have pretty solid command but um yeah for some reason those fastballs are just kind of going all over the place and then fun little tidbit about Yavaldi: the two leagues that i have him are leagues that i can't trade him oh um, no <laughs> yeah, it's, i have him in my home league and like we said we are in the playoffs right now so um yeah obviously i'm not trading him and then i have him in tgfpi which oh. uh, is a no <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's really bad because I would say, hey, try to flip them, but you can't. Oh, you I, just can't. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to right now. But, you know, I've also been doing really well in those leagues because Eovaldi's been so good for this season. Yeah, that's very fair. Very fair. Yeah. Moving on to Wednesday, July 19th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, we start with Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals, who went two for four with a homer, a run, four RBI, and a stolen base. Gorman was off to a scorching hot start this year with a 170 WRC plus and a sub 30% K rate. He was hitting homers left and right, driving in runs, and looking like a true breakout star. However, since May 26th, Gorman has had a slash line of 137, 206, 250 with a 27 WRC plus and a 40% K rate. However, over his last few games, Gorman has somewhat righted the ship. His savant page is still solid with a 78th percentile average exit velocity, 85th percentile hard hit percentage, and 90th percentile barrel percentage. He's going to have his ups and downs, proven by this season really, but I trust Gorman as an everyday player for fantasy this season and moving forward. He's batting third for the Cardinals at the moment, and they're really trusting him with that. He looks like a good hitter, but he just goes through those stretches where he is extremely cold, and you don't like to see that. You want to see him hit better against lefties as well, but at least they're letting him play every day and try to figure it out because I think he deserves it because of how good he's been. And the home run that he hit was a three-run shot off of Sandy Alcantara in the first inning. So Nolan Gorman, he's kind of back. I don't want to fully call it back, but he's looking good again. So if you do have him on your roster... If you had him on your bench because he was so dreadful, maybe it's time to put him back in the lineup. And then a couple of Rangers here. We have Leody Taveras of the Rangers, who went two for four with a homer, a run, two RBI, and a stolen base. And Jonah Heim of the Rangers, who went two for four with a double, a homer, a run, and three RBI. I recommended people to pick up Taveras a little while back, and it's certainly paying off. Him and Ezekiel Duran have both been pretty good. Duran kind of fell off a little bit more than Taveras has. Taveras has been really solid. His expected numbers are good. The expected batting average is actually higher than he currently has. The stat cast data is not out of this world, but it's the page of a perfectly good player. And his slash line is currently 288, 334, 468, with 11 home runs and 10 stolen bases. He should definitely be rostered in five outfield leagues. Even deeper three outfield leagues, I think you can make a case to roster Leody Taveras. He's been great. And then Jonah Heim, I feel like we've mentioned a lot, 
but he just continues to have a great season. He's a top five catcher in baseball right now for fantasy and leads catchers in RBI and is second in runs. So he's really helping outside of homers and steals. Obviously, he's not going to contribute a lot of steals. He's got a good amount of home runs at the moment, but the RBI and the runs is what you're going to get mainly out of Heim because of that amazing lineup that he's in. Yeah, Tavares has been really solid. Yeah. Um, and like you, like what you said, it's, it's part of it is because of the offense that surrounds both him and Heim that make them that much better. But, you know, they've, they've been putting in the work this season. It's not it's not like they're, you know, riding the coattails of like Josh Young and right. and Marcus Hemiad and, you know, um, and those guys, but like Corey Seager. But they're, they're actually contributing in meaningful ways. Like Heim, he's not he's not the number one catcher. You know, that, that probably still goes to Will Smith, who's been, you know, an all-around monster. But Heim is for sure, in my opinion, at least the, the third best catcher right now. I, it's hard for me to, to find another guy. Like Alvarez is kind of the only one other dude. Sean Murphy obviously is having a great year. Yeah, too. I would say the top uh, five for catchers at the moment for me would be Sean Murphy, Will Smith, Francisco Alvarez, Jonah Heim, and then probably like JT Real Muto just for the steals and whatnot. So that's probably yeah. the top five catchers for me. Yeah, I mean, don't forget our boy Elias Diaz. But yeah, he's uh, been pretty good. He's been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, he didn't get his car, so that he he now he's gonna you know return with a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Heim's been Heim's been legitimately so good, and for a guy who legitimately was like a waiver wire pickup, yep. You know, like uh, that you can't ask for any better value um, in in the league. Yeah, that's the thing is Jonah Heim was completely free. Like people were even drafting Alvarez over Jonah Heim and Alvarez wasn't even guaranteed to be playing with the team upon opening day. So it's incredible to see that both these guys were probably undrafted in most of your leagues. Leody Tavares bats in ninth, which is like the only thing that holds him back. But even yeah. in that lineup, it's still a decent spot, kind of like Michael Harris in the Braves where he bats ninth. But the counting stats are still there because the lineup is so good. So Leody Tavares... I would love to see him bat second or fifth and see what he could really do. And maybe he could be a 2020 guy, but Leone Tavares looked really good this season. Jonah Heim's been really good. The Rangers are just completely on fire. Moving on to pitching from Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article, Silseth of Fresh Air from Nick Pollock. We start with Kenta Maeda of the Twins, who went 6.1 innings pitched, two earned runs, three hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Mariners. I know that I've said this before, definitely in previous years, probably in previous podcasts, but I'm excited about Maeda. Since coming off of the IL in five starts, Maeda has a 2.73 ERA, a 1.03 whip, and 36 strikeouts over 26.1 innings pitched. In this start, Maeda had 12 out of 31 whiffs on the splitter for a 45% CSW, and the slider had a 75% zone rate. He's someone that I think you have to add if he's out there because he's a good pitcher that's performing well, and he has a two-start week next week against the same Mariners that he just lit up and the Royals. So Kenta Maeda is someone that I think everyone needs to roster. His schedule the rest of the way through looks really good. If he stays healthy, if he can throw that slider for strikes and whiffs, if he can throw that splitter for whiffs, he looks really, really good. Next, we have Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs, who went six innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, zero walks, and five strikeouts against the Nationals. Hendricks has been surprisingly good since coming back. His last two starts before this one were really bad against the Yankees and the Red Sox, but he still has a 3.38 ERA and 1.06 whip for the season. He didn't have his changeup in those two poor starts, but it came back in full force against the Nationals. If he can get the curveball to come back as well, 
He could be a viable pitcher to roster in 14-team leagues or deeper, especially if those leagues are quality start leagues. I see Hendricks at the moment as a streamer in really good matchups, so take that with a grain of salt. But Kyle Hendricks is actually a decent pitcher right now. He's not just the guy who throws 80-mile-per-hour fastballs and gets lit up. He's actually pitching, so it's nice to see that out of Kyle Hendricks. And then some other notable pitching performances. The good, we have Justin Verlander of the Mets, who went eight innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the White Sox. This was easily his best start of the year, so it's good to see promising things out of Verlander. And the other good was Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers, who went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, four hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts against the Royals. This was his best start since returning from the IL. And then the bad, we have to mention the bad, Carlos Rodon of the Yankees went 4.1 innings pitched, 6 earned runs, 4 hits, 5 walks, and 3 strikeouts against the Angels. I ultimately think he'll be fine. His stuff is still nasty. He's just working his way back from an injury. Give him some time to get settled. Don't go and just panic drop him. He will be okay. And the last bad, Julio Urias of the Dodgers went 5 innings pitched, 8 earned runs, 8 hits, 2 walks, and 2 strikeouts against the Orioles. Nothing to really worry about here either. Just one of those blow-up starts that happened kind of like on Tuesday with Lucas Giolito against the Mets, who was really good and then just got blown up. They happen. So keep starting Urias with confidence. He hasn't been the best this year, but he's not this guy. So don't let this implosion skew the fact that Urias is a great pitcher. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe the words Kyle Hendricks and fantasy asset really belong in the same <laughs> sentence. But yeah. Uh, hey, I mean, yeah, if, if he's able to continue doing this, I mean, granted, it was a little bit easier matchup coming against the Nationals, but he plays in the NL Central. It's not exactly a murderer's row of teams there either. Right. So um, he definitely has, has good potential to yeah, get these quality starts. I mean, he's a guy who is, you know, very consistent at least. And, um, you know, he, he he's able to do well because he has low velocity, so to speak. So he doesn't tire as quickly, I guess. Um but he, yeah, he's able to go deep in games pretty consistently. He, he, Kyle Hendricks has always been a quality start monster. You know, he doesn't really give you much else, but he at least yeah. will give you quality starts. And then Maeda, um, I think it, the hard part for Maeda is if you're in a quality start league, it's it's really hard to roster him because the Twins still, you know, for the most part, limit him to 80, 80-ish pitches. I mean, this one, he only went to 80 pitches. Yeah. Um, so the likelihood that he reaches six is, is kind of dependent on how good he's doing that day. Um and you know, it, it, if it works out, it works out great, which is which is awesome. But um, sometimes it, it can be a little risky if you are in a quality start league to to pick up Maeda um, as you know maybe one of your you know let's just say your top four to six starter. You know he's obviously not going to be a top three guy, but if he's in your four to six starter, it, it's it starts you know maybe there's other maybe there's better options out there. Uh, but he he's definitely at least showing that he can be that guy. Um, in his past few starts. Yeah, I completely agree with that too. I did pick him up in my quality start league, so it was nice to get a quality start here, but I actually watched mm -hmm. this whole game like you probably did as well. And Maeda was cruising through the yep. Mariners lineup. Like yep. he was making them look foolish and he looked so in command. And like I said, he went 6.1 innings pitched and John mentioned he only threw 80 pitches in this one. And it kind of blows my mind because... He threw a really good pitch to Jared Kelenic that would have been strike three if the catcher caught it. And then mm -hmm. he threw another great pitch that was out of the zone, like way outside, and Kelenic swung at it and just poked it into left field and went opposite field with it. Yeah. And after that single, they pulled him at 80 pitches. Mm -hmm. And then immediately after being pulled, 
the reliever that came in gave up a two-run homer to Eugenio Suarez to tie the game. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and that just blew my mind. I went on a mini rant about Rocco Baldelli. Like, what are you doing? Like, I understand that Maeda's health comes first. And mm-hmm. that's the most important thing because you want this guy to pitch for you down the stretch. You're in first place. You plan on making the playoffs. You need this guy. He's going to help you. So you want to treat him kindly since he came off the IL. Mm-hmm. But, like, he was through 80 pitches. He had Eugenio Suarez struck out on three pitches his first at-bat. And then he popped out in the next at-bat in three pitches. Let him at least get that guy or finish the inning. Like, let him go seven and throw, what, right. maybe 90 pitches max? And then you take him out. But instead, you bring in a reliever, you blow the game. I just don't understand that. And I'm not sure why managers micromanage that hard. Sorry, I had to go on a little rant because Maeda <laughs> was dealing. He looked so good. He could have easily yeah. went seven in this one. And it's just baffling that they took him out. Yeah, it is one of those things with Maeda where it's not that he has a quick hook, but it's, you know, once he gets to, you know, 80-ish pitches, that's when, you know, as soon as something bad happens, it's like, oh, you know, it may, you know maybe he's kind of losing it a little bit. Um, but, he yeah, he was on fire that game. And um, he actually had a higher velocity, too. I, I can't remember if you said that, but his, his velocity was up in this one, uh, which is a, a huge thing. And I think, I think maybe that they're going to be willing to let him go a few more pitches, um, you know, as the season progresses. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he starts hitting 90 more frequently. Uh, I think he's only hit it once in the last five starts, but um, yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I had a, a better explanation for why they took him out that early. Um, I think part of it was, you know, they just wanted to, they just wanted to, they, they didn't like what they saw in the sixth inning. And, you know, as soon as the, as soon as Kelnick got on, they're like, well, we at least have, you know, Griffin Jacks, who basically hasn't given up a homer or anything, 20 appearances or something like that. He should be fine here. Of course, he ended up giving a that homer. That should be the tall uh, yeah, tale sign that things will not be okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's bring in a reliever who hasn't given up a home run. Oh, whoopsie. <laughs> that always happens, I feel like. You try to play it perfectly. You're like, man, this yeah. matchup's perfect. And, and it yeah. blows up. Well, yeah, I mean, and the Twins are very, I mean, like every every Major League Baseball team, but it's not just the Twins. You know, they're, they're a very analytics-driven team, and so the idea, like, well, let's get the matchups here, and, you know, we, we know that Jax has a, you know, a, a disgusting slider, and Eugenio has, you know, the 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 possibility of being a guy who swings, you know, very freely, so maybe maybe we do this, and, you know, obviously it backfired. Yep, of course. So, yeah, yeah. We we could rant about it. I'm I'm probably just as annoyed as you are. <laughs> the twins did get the win though, so I, at at the end of the day, I didn't care too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not mad about it for fantasy purposes. I got a quality start out of it, an amazing start. I really don't yeah. care about the extra earned run. None of that matters to me. I'm just frustrated as a baseball fan on seeing someone carve totally. up a lineup and then being pulled to lose the lead for their team. Like I just don't get it. Totally. Yeah. Well, moving on to Thursday, then uh, we had Matt Olson of Atlanta. We've talked about him a couple times, but we got to keep talking about him because I legitimately feel like he's like gone under the radar uh, against Arizona. He went two for four with two homers, three RBIs on Thursday. He continues to swing a hot bat. He's leading the National League right now in homers and RBI. His average and his OBP, they're not great, but they're still like kind of within like top 50 players. So he's not like being a, a complete minus in that zone. He's a plus asset for your team. He should be, you know, a top three MVP candidate, if not for his teammate, Ronald Cunha. I mean, we, we've said this so many times. Matt Olson, to me, uh, it would be shocking if he's not the first or second first baseman drafted next year. 
I mean, you know, clearly this year we had Vlad and Freeman. Vlad's taking a little bit of a step back. I think Maddelson has shown that he is doing really well in Atlanta and he's not slowing down anytime soon. So yeah, you know, I don't know if that's truly a hot take. I mean, he was still going maybe second and third, you know, round in most drafts as early as season. I don't think there's a way he lasts past the end of the first, this upcoming year. Uh, Jordan Walker then of St. Louis went up against the Cubs today, two for four with two RBIs and a homer. The rookie outfielder hit a two run shot that traveled 398 feet, bringing his season total up to nine on the season with 28 RBI total. It's not really the elite breakout season that everyone was hoping for when he made the team at the beginning of the season out of spring training, but he's still plenty young, having only turned 21 two months ago. Some positives for Walker. His hard contact rate ranks 21st among all qualified batters, and his rate of shows are pretty decent. Um, He does have a low walk rate and a kind of high-ish strikeout rate. Not super high, but, you know, not you don't love it. He's still shown good decision at the plate based on RPL metrics, and good judgment of the strike zone. So at least that's something that he is able to, to, you know, he doesn't have to develop that as a young player. I think the only problem is, you know, the 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 hard contact really isn't translating into hits and to extra bases. So we'll see if that um, can actually improve as he continues to really get used to major league pitching. Yeah, so I agree with you with Matt Olson kind of being underrated, which is crazy to say the guy who leads the league in homers for the National League is underrated, but he's really not spoken about. I mean, after this performance today, he's got 32 homers and 80 RBI this season so far, which is just disgusting. He also has 72 runs scored. After this game, it's 74 runs scored, and he's got a 370 OBP. So he's playing really, really well in terms of, the draft next season, I think Matt Olson is the second best first baseman. Now, obviously, Vlad has a huge amount of upside, but he still hits too many mm-hmm. grounders, and he's not getting the results we really want to see. He's solid, but I don't think he's better than Olson. Pete Alonso is going through his own struggles right now, and I think he's mm-hmm. very good, but right now not better than Olsen. And then Paul Goldschmidt's really good too, but he's getting older, and I would still take Olsen over him. I only would take Freddie Freeman over him, yeah, and it's really context-dependent because – if it's a standard five by five with average, I think mm-hmm. you have to go with Freddie Freeman. Like you just Completely. have to because yes. yep. Olsen has such a low batting average. But in an OBP league, I almost would rather, based on my team construction, I'd almost rather Olsen for the elite power because mm-hmm. if I can bank on a guy hitting 45 homers, that allows me to take some risks on some potential 2025 guys or 2030 guys later on in the draft rather than taking Freeman and then having to chase more power. So it really is based on your team context, but I think Freeman is definitely the first first baseman off the board, and then I think Olsen shortly after because yeah. Olsen's been that good. No, I, I think that's where I'm definitely with you on that. And, and the thing is the metrics are completely believable. Like, yeah, sure, yeah. the counting stats are incredibly high this year, right? But some things that we've, we're seeing from his metrics compared to last year, walk rate's gone up. That's good. Yep. His striker rate's actually gone up a little bit, which is kind of impressive considering how much better he's doing here. Yeah, His card contact rate is exactly the same. And I think that's kind of the thing that makes me believe that this is real. He hasn't necessarily been hitting the ball harder. He's just been changing. He's increased his fly ball rate. He's decreased his ground ball rate, right? He's had a basically a, a slight different approach at the plate with how he's attacking the ball. And I think if he continues that next year, you know, that to me, that that's something that's very repeatable next year. Yeah. And also 
Olsen hasn't benefited the most because I just read an article on this on Baseball Savant, I believe. I don't mm-hmm. know who was the author, so I'm sorry about that. But it was an article basically saying who has benefited the most off of the shift ban. And Olsen's gotten a few more hits from that. So his average goes up because he's a good hitter. And when he pulls it between the first and second hole, someone's not just standing there throwing him out. He's getting yep. a hit off of that. So his average mm-hmm. is just naturally going up as well. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, his BABIP is not like out out, out there, you know? Right, exactly. It's only, only 282 BABIP, which is actually below average. So um, it, that basically means, yeah, he's still being affected by the shift a little bit. But despite that, he is just mashing the ball because he's like, well, if I can't hit it on the ground to an open field, I'll just hit it over their heads. <laughs> right. And also, I don't think BABIP accounts for home runs either, right? So yeah. I it's think that his BABIP right. is going to be definitely lower because, I mean, he's hit 32 homers and just sails the ball. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just really an impressive season, and and I, I I agree. I think I would still probably take Freddie Freeman over Olsen in an average league, and then in an OBP OBP league, it's a little bit harder. It probably depends on what my strategy looks like for the exactly. Rest of the, the That's rest exactly of the what I would say too for my strategy on the whole thing. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to pitchers, uh, we've got George Kirby of Seattle. He goes up against Minnesota, my team. I had to highlight this, though, because it was an absolute masterclass. Seven innings, four hits, no earned runs, 10 strikeouts. He was shutting down the Twins with his elite fastball, got 12 whiffs on that pitch alone, and a slider that got, I think, four whiffs, but was actually mainly getting called strikes, which was kind of impressive. Uh, That's not usually something you see from Kirby in terms of how he's using his breakers, but very effective. Of course, the Twins are a very strikeout-happy team, um, and so... While it is impressive that Kirby was able to do this against a lineup that hits, you know, hits lefties pretty well, actually. Um, you know, the fact that he got 10 strikeouts is mainly because the Twins will literally swing at anything. Um, yeah, and so that I think he, as long as he uses his pitches effectively, um, I think with, with most games, he's able to kind of maybe get a, a strikeout in inning. He, I know he doesn't average that, but he definitely has that potential. It's just when he gets these double-digit Ks where you, you kind of say like, oh, maybe there's some maybe there's some possibility here where he really becomes like a true, a true strikeout ace. Um, this has only been his second game with double-digit Ks. Um, I think what's also impressive about Kirby, though, is that he didn't walk anyone in this game, um, and he currently leads the league in walk rate. So his control is impeccable. Um, it would just be really, really good to see him improve that strikeout ability uh, as he continues to uh, age in the majors. He's still pretty young, so it's actually been impressive seeing this type of um, this type of season from him. Moving on to the second pitcher, though, Michael Lorenzen of Detroit. He went up against Kansas City. Seven innings, three hits, one walk, and three strikeouts. Lorenzen continues to be a guy that you can rely on in good matchups, but you really just can't stomach him in the tough ones. This, of course, was his third straight scoreless outing, which is kind of hilarious, but he also was the Detroit All-Star for a reason. His slider led the way with five whiffs, and he had a 38% CSW. His other pitches were all right, but nothing really to write home about. He does get the Angels next, um, and depending on what they do before the trade deadline, this could be another great opportunity to stream Lorenzen, which something, uh, you know, it's kind of weird to say, but the fact is he does really well against bad competition, so why not go for that? Yeah, so... On Thursday, since it was a short slate, I watch every single game, really. I try to watch every single game every day, but on Thursday, it's exceptionally easy because only one or two games are going on at a time, and I can watch all of them throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I watched this Kirby start against the Twins, and he looked so in control and so dominant. It was crazy. Like, I just, every pitch was like, wow. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. Every strikeout, I, was, I couldn't believe it. He just looked so good. So just off the eye test alone, George Kirby looks like such a good pitcher. Obviously, we know he barely walks anybody. Yeah. And if he can just get a little bit more whiffs and get those strikeouts up a little bit, he can be a clear fantasy ace because he's really good. His stuff looks really, really good. And then Michael Lorenzen, he's been like the streamer of the year really because yeah. he's not good enough to roster but like no. you said in good matchups he destroys he's really good so if you can see a matchup like against the royals and pick him up it's like a slam dunk home run guaranteed good start but against good teams he's horrible so he's been such a reliable and good streamer and it's great to see that lorenzen made the list today as a highlight because he really is good as a streamer he is it's it's really funny to call him streamer of the year but i think that's like a really true way to characterize Lorenzen. Yeah, we got to get Nick to get a tag where it's streamer of the year because I think Lorenzen deserves that. I don't know where he is on the list specifically, but I think he I deserves think he's like ninety four. He's like 94th. Like he's like barely on the list. That's probably accurate. I'd probably put him in the 80s because I feel like he's been better than that. But yeah. I got to give him the streamer of the year tag because he's been sick. <laughs> he's been so every time I've streamed him, he's been awesome. And then it's funny because no one just holds on to him. Right. So like no, in your 10 not, or yeah. 12 team leagues, I'm sure you guys all go through this as well is you'll pick up Lorenzen. You'll drop him. Someone else will pick him up. They'll drop him. No one holds on to him. It's just a case by case study with Michael Lorenzen. It's pretty funny to watch. Yeah, for sure. But that's all for the weekly performance recap. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will give you some hitter and pitcher suggestions to stream for next week. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. And obviously this podcast has gone on a little long, but it's our first podcast back from the all-star break. We had a lot to go through and we will go to the pitcher and hitter streamers. Now, John, who do we have for the pitcher streamers this week? Yeah, so, um, you know, we already, we already gave a couple shout outs, you know, Michael Lorenzen for sure. Griffin Canning, I think, is, is another good good option. Um, three guys that I picked out, though. Gavin Williams, he's 33% rostered at Yahoo, 11% on ESPN. He goes up against Kansas City, um, but I don't really have a lot to speak about him because, actually, you should really just find any AL Central pitcher because they're all facing each other in a few games this week, uh, with the exception of Detroit. I think Detroit gets uh, Miami and the Angels, so they're the one team that doesn't face another AL Central team this week. Um, really, like if there's if there's guys available, all these teams are just terrible on offense. So you might be able to sneak a win here or just a, a random, you know, quality start. Uh, but Gavin Williams seems to be a little bit more of the cream of the crop who's available. Obviously, he's had some, you know, a little bit tougher performances. It's, it hasn't been super consistent for him, but Cleveland trusts him and they're leaving him in the rotation. So clearly they see something in him. Um, I think we should believe in that. Uh, Alex Wood, he's 5% rostered on Yahoo, 3% on ESPN, and that's for a reason. He has not been very good this season. He actually got sent back to the bullpen. Um, he goes up against Oakland in this matchup, and I'm honestly kind of hesitant to do this one, but, you know, if you if you need someone, this he might be a sneaky sort of, you know, five innings with a win sort of pickup. Um, A's are the A's, and, and they're just really bad. So maybe maybe Alex Wood somehow manages to get a good start here. And then Emmett Sheehan of the Dodgers, he's 25% roster on Yahoo, 11% roster on ESPN. He goes up against Cincinnati at home. He's been chasing his first start performance when he had, you know, a really elite uh, debut, but uh, he's had a lot of tough opponents since then. 
Cincy is a very tough team, and we talked about Ellie De La Cruz is electric. Christian Encarnacio Strand, who they just called up, has a lot of power. Spencer Steer has been really solid. Joey Votto, you can't discount him. Matt McClain's been doing really good, too. But they're still not, like, an amazing team when they're away. You know, they're, they're, they're a solid offense, but they're not, like, lights out like they are back in Cincinnati. And Emmett Sheehan, if he's able to put stuff together, you know, maybe he's able to have a good start in this one. And, you know, the Dodgers being the Dodgers, there's, there's a good chance he comes out with a win in this anyways, even if it's not a great start. So if you're chasing something like that, uh, Sheehan could be a good option. Yeah, so I've said this before. We've recommended Gavin Williams as a streamer a few times, and I definitely just think he should be rostered. It's hard to say because he hasn't really had too many good performances. He's only had one, and yeah. that was against the Royals. But the potential, the upside of him, he's such a high-prospect pedigree guy. Going into the year, he was the second-best pitching prospect right behind Andrew Painter, and obviously not including Grayson Rodriguez. But... Gavin Williams has such tremendous upside that I think you should just roster him. I think he'll be more helpful than bad moving forward. And I definitely recommend the stream against the Royals because anybody against the Royals, I would take. If John was going up against the Royals tomorrow, I would stream John. So I would take <laughs> I would take Gavin Williams first in the streamer pick. Then I would take Emmett Sheehan. I believe in his ability. Obviously, I like the Reds offense and... I think that they could do some damage, but I believe in Emmett Sheehan's stuff, so I like him second. And then Alex Wood, he just hasn't been that great, but the matchup is obviously there against the Athletics, and I like that choice because the Athletics have a lot of decent left-handed hitters in their lineup, and the righties aren't too great. They've got like a mm-hmm. Lemus Diaz and Jordan Diaz and a lot of Diazes, and <laughs> I think Alex Wood could do a good job against Oakland. I never know what to think for Alex Wood, like... Is yep. he going to go four? Is he going to go seven? Is he going to go two? Like, I <laughs> never know with Alex Wood, but I think that he can give you more good than bad in this start. So I would rank them Gavin Williams, Emmett Sheehan, Alex Wood, and I think you should just roster Gavin Williams. Once again, there's no real reason. There's nothing standing out that blatantly tells you you should roster him. Like I said, he's only had one good start, mm-hmm. but I think that there are plenty of good starts in the tank for Gavin Williams, especially since he's got a rotation spot on the Guardians and the division is pretty bad. Alex Wood is honestly a guy who um, this is like a 15 team streamer sort of pickup, you know, like yeah. there's, if you're in a 12 teamer, you have no reason to be picking up Alex Wood this week. Um, unless you're absolutely desperate and your pitching is just horrendous. Um, like <laughs> yeah, Alex sure. Wood should, like you really should never be picking pick up Alex Wood. But if you're in a 15 teamer, you need a guy. There's, there's no good options. If you're looking for a good matchup, then that that's when you get Alex Wood. Yeah, I completely agree on that. And now for my bat recommendations. I have a few names. I don't want to talk too long about them, but I wanted to mention them because I think that they're all worth picking up in their own regard. We're going to start with some twins. We've got Edward Julian of the Twins and Alex Kirilov of the Twins. Julian's rostered in 15% of leagues on Yahoo, Kirilov in 9% of leagues. It's hard to recommend these guys simply because of playing time issues. We talked about Kirilov a little bit earlier and that he you know, doesn't play very often. His power sapped a little bit because of that wrist problem, which it stinks to recommend these guys because when I mentioned Josh Lowe earlier, I told you that I'm not a big fan of rostering guys that don't play every day and the pitcher's handedness dictates when they're in the lineup. However, both of these guys are hitting righties so well right now that it's pretty early season Josh Lowe-esque. 
I think both of these guys will get more consistent playing time if they keep playing like this as well. Both of their Savant pages aren't the most reassuring thing, but both of these guys were top prospects with incredible hit tools, and we're seeing those tools shine right now, and I think Kirilov's building up his wrist power and the power's coming back slowly. I think next season Kirilov's going to be a really good sleeper. And I think he can finish the season strong. Edward Julian's hit tool is incredible. He's getting multiple hits pretty much every game. They might not be players that you roster in September, but if you need a hot bat, both of these twins are hot right now. And I think that they're worth grabbing in their respective positions. Like if you need a second baseman, grab Julian. If you need a first baseman or outfielder, grab Kirilov. So I think both of them are good choices. They're really lowly rostered, so you can grab them at will. But you just don't know when they're going to play. Look at the matchups ahead of time if they're facing a lot of righties. Grab them, start them, have fun with them. Next, we have Chaz McCormick of the Astros, who's 31% rostered on Yahoo, but now he's 48% rostered, and he's actually plus 43% rostered this week. So he was 5% rostered last week, and that just goes to show you how good of a week he's having. And when I started writing this and looking for people to recommend, he was 31% rostered, and now he's nearly 50. So his roster rate is shooting up. McCormick has had a really solid year so far with a 285, 370, 534 slash line, as well as 12 homers and 9 steals. He also got a steal on Thursday, so it's 10 steals. He's been hitting in the middle of that Astros lineup and currently has everyday playing time. Things may get a bit more complicated with Jordan returning, but I think Chaz will still have an everyday role with the team. The Savant page isn't great. The XBA is 40 points less, but he's barreling up the ball well and has been really hot in his last six games with nine runs, four homers, eight RBI, and one steal. Now two steals because of Thursday's game. If you need an outfielder or a hot bat, grab Chaz, especially in a five outfield league because he should definitely be rostered in that format. But right now, he's a hot enough bat to roster in a three outfield league and even the shallower 10, 12, 14 team leagues because he's performing. He's giving you the numbers you want in a typical categories league. And then lastly, Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs is 51% rostered on Yahoo. I wanted to mention Seiya since he may be available in your league. I know a lot of people were dropping him after his injury and after his multiple struggles throughout the season, but he's still 51% rostered, so he might be out there. He has tons of promise, and his savant page is beautiful. 90th percentile average exit velocity, 88th percentile hard hit percentage, high walk percentage, low K percentage, 96th percentile chase rate, all things that you want your hitter to excel at, he's excelling at. So definitely grab Seiya over any of the other guys I mentioned if he's out there because he can have a huge second half that might win you the league if he's available for you. Yeah, just a couple of notes about the Twins guys, obviously, because I can talk about them a lot. But um, Julian currently leads the, the team in OPS. Um, he doesn't qualify for it because he doesn't have enough games, but he's been really, really solid. Um and I don't think the Twins are going to limit his playing time too much. I mean, they still love to platoon guys, so that there there is that challenge, like you mentioned. Um, but him, I think he's been so good. If you have an OBP league, for sure, I think Julian is, is definitely a good pickup. Kirilov is, has some, you know, like I mentioned, really good traits in OBP leagues as well. The power's starting to come back, which is good to see. Uh, it's just hard to know if that's really sustained. Um, but the cool thing here is, uh, since this is really a, a streamer sort of recommendation, they face the Mariners again this upcoming week. Um, and, uh, it just so happens the Mariners only have right-handed starters. Yep. So Kirilov and Julian, in terms of like, let's just say if you're in a weekly league, it makes a ton of sense to pick up 
them because they're going to have three great matchups. Um, and then, you know, they get to have a pretty cushy schedule right after that, which is which is pretty nice. I believe they face the White Sox, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it, in terms of like a, a streamer suggestion, I think those are really, really solid. And then, yeah, with McCormick and Suzuki, I think those are guys that you just roster. You you, you pick them up and you don't, you know, you just kind of forget about them. Um, yeah, I yeah. completely also, agree with that. So Clarifying, they, they play Kansas City. Uh, after Seattle, so it's even it's even easier. So, oh wow, um, yeah, they're, they're, those are definitely great like weekly sort of streamer streamer hitters if you need that. Yeah, if you just need a hitter for the next week and you want to stream some guys, Julian and Kirilov are hot and they have great matchups coming up against a lot of righties and bad teams. So that's really good. And then Chaz and Suzuki, like I said, just great players. And John said you should just roster them. Seiya over Chaz, of course, because Seiya has everyday playing time, no problem with that. And his underlying numbers just look fantastic. But that is all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. We are officially back from the All-Star break, and we are back to finish this season strong. So before we go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.